This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hey, Matt Robeson, Beyond Politics. It is our Balance of Power Roundtable, and it's a rare opportunity for us to do a version of the show that we like to call We're Imbalanced. Because we're not that balanced today, we don't have Paul Hodes, former U.S. congressman, who is on assignment for us. Deep research on whether New York City pizza truly is the best pizza in the world. Of course it is. That's a stupid research assignment. Alicia Preston, our conservative commentator, analyst, and political consultant, why did we give Paul that assignment? It doesn't make any sense. I don't know. I love pizza. Can we send me on that next time? And I think I have better taste than he does. Here's the only only question that matters. Mm -hmm. Do you hold your pizza the correct way, which is to fold it, or do you do the weird, let's sprain our wrists, hold it flat thing that people not from New York seem to prefer? This is going to potentially break the internet when I note this, but I, I use a knife and fork when I eat my pizza. Get out. And I always All right. have. Even Alicia as a Preston's kid. been fired from the Balance of Power Roundtable. <laughs> we have got to talk about. I don't like grease on my face. It's just a thing. We've got a, a, a fascinating show here at the very end. Hang on till the end because Alicia's got a story for you in a new segment that we're, I, I don't know, we haven't named it. We don't have a sponsor for it yet. It's Hang like on that. the most entertaining po- politics story of the week. And you've got a great one of a conservative troll getting ratioed. You're going to want to hang on for that. But we've really got to start with what I continue to think is the number one politics story, has the potential to be the number one politics story of 2024. We covered it on the show yesterday with Andy Kroll of ProPublica. If you haven't heard that yet, uh, go back in the feed. I, I don't want people to stop listening to this, but go back in the feed and listen to that. He's a really interesting investigative reporter who shed some light on this. But to me, this decision by the Supreme Court to take up Donald Trump's claim of absolute immunity for everything that he's ever done as president is a real bombshell for this reason. Pretty much kills the prospect of there being an election subversion trial for Donald Trump this year before the election. And to me, that was the number one thing most likely to move voters who are potentially movable. And I think that thing has just fallen out of Joe Biden's arsenal here. Alicia, what do you think? I'm not sure about the trial won't go forward before the election, not because I have any information, but because some analysts on TV were walking through what the timeline could be. And some think it could start as early as, say, August. Others think it won't. And part of it really depends on the timeline and the Supreme Court's decision. But I still think it could have impact. And here's why. People may be waiting to see. But if the Supreme Court comes back whenever they come back, probably in May, if they're hearing this April 22nd, and says the president does not have immunity. That will make people think there is nothing protecting him from his own actions. There is not some fantasy blanket immunity that he received because he was president from committing crimes. And I still think that could have a significant impact. And let's not forget that while if he were to be reelected, he doesn't get sworn until next January. If the trial starts in October, it still can go forward. November, it still can go forward. December, it can at least start. And that doesn't stop by the way, the state case, such as out of Georgia. That's There's true. still a lot there. Maybe I'm going to be a little bit more optimistic than I was with Andy yesterday. I, I, I was pretty cynical. I, I really 
boy, this, it really hit me between the eyes, the idea that we're going to lose the ability for voters to get exposed, most of them for the first time, to the details of the election subversion case. By and large, people have not been exposed to the information about Donald Trump's role in January 6th or in the run-up to the election, the entire scheme to subvert the election, to overturn the results. Um, the awareness of, of all of that, despite the January 6th committee, is shockingly low among Americans, and this was going to be a real opportunity. So on the one hand, I was crestfallen, downbeat, dejected. Hold on, I have to grab a thesaurus. I was not up on this yesterday. Maybe today, partly because I'm getting an infusion of Alicia optimism, maybe I'm feeling a little bit better because there's still an entire campaign to do here. The Biden campaign is going to run a billion dollars worth of advertising, and they're going to have an opportunity to educate the American public. Do I think that paid advertising is as effective as the, the overall media saturation that you'd get from a trial like that? No. It's, it's not nearly as effective, but there is still a chance to introduce this information to potentially movable voters. So I don't know, maybe, maybe it's not as dire as I felt yesterday, but it's not good. And, and if I'm strategist on team Biden, I say, wait until the Supreme court makes its decision because that is your advertising. Also don't focus strictly on Donald Trump because there's a whole lot going on in this country. You need to focus on Mr. President, but in the part that you focus on Donald Trump, I would hold my fire until the Supreme Court comes back and says, you do not have any presidential immunity. That's and true too. We're gonna to have this decision ostensibly by June and the heavy advertising season, the paid advertising that the campaigns do, doesn't really get going until after the conventions. And there is there's still an opportunity. Do you think, let's say, as seems most likely right now, let's say the Supreme Court decides that he does not enjoy immunity and that the trial can go forward, but it's likely not going to because the judge in this case has essentially said, every day we delay, we have to add a day to the trial calendar. So the delay that's happened because of the stays put on by the courts will equal 82 days by the time we get to June. And therefore, if Judge Chutkin sticks with her plan on this, we would be talking into September, maybe even October. And at that point, Justice Department guidelines would seem to hold that you can't go forward with this kind of a prosecution within 60 days of a national election. So let's say, let's just say that's the scenario we're living in. We don't have the federal election subversion trial moving forward before the election. How does that change the strategy for the Biden campaign? What do they do? Does it change well, anything? Let me back up. The, the the whole Justice Department's 60-day tradition is that, number one. And number two, this prosecution has already started. I can see that you can't start – you can't charge someone within 60 days. You can't begin a prosecution. This prosecution started an extremely long time before the November election, and I think that they would be well within their right, both via tradition and rules, to carry on with it once they get the okay to do. That's first and foremost. As for the Biden strategy – Look, I'd hold my fire on Donald Trump and talk about stuff that matters. I believe Democrats and Republicans are at fault for the border. The American public, particularly in swing states, feel like the border crisis is one of the top issues, if not the top issue. Talk about it. You want to blame Republicans because they messed it up? That potential deal? Do that. But you got to also talk about things like the economy and what's going on in the world. And we've discussed this before. There is this 
malaise in America because there's so much negative news, so much negative news. Give us some optimism. You know what? Go call your buddy Barack Obama and ask him how to present some hope because he was good at that. He was good at making you feel good about stuff you didn't even knew you needed to feel good about or wanted to. He's got to present himself better as an optimistic leader for the future, which is going to be hard for him to do. But I think that's the strategy he needs to take. The only twist I'd put on that is, to me, what you're talking about is what we'd call in the campaign business running a positive track. And then so there's positive, there's negative, and then there's what's euphemistically called contrast. I would, I'd go with contrast personally. To me, it would be a little bit of a sprinkling of mourning in America combined with a, look, it's the Biden thing. Don't compare me to the almighty, compare me to the alternative. And here, what I see for the future, here's the flaming crater that we just crawled out of and we're heading in the right direction. Things have turned around. It's getting better and let's remind people of of what that contrast is with MAGA craziness. And that's how you bring in things like the Dobbs decision, which is a, a proven winner for Democrats. It is. When the IVF ruling, I know you see it differently, but the IVF ruling is going to play into that if this is still an issue come election. So I would run You'll this You'll notice that's already calmed way down as people are figuring out. Oh, I disagree. How, I don't think that's think calmed down at all. Even on liberal media, I was watching this morning. Oh, I don't think that's calmed down at all. Look, Senate Democrats brought this in front of the U.S. Senate this week. Senate Republicans refused to protect IVF as a procedure. Yes, Democrats are trying that's to make politics. this an issue. Come on. Yeah, yeah but it's because, no, it's because, it's because. That doesn't mean it matters. Yeah, it, it matters. Republicans because, are trying to impeach Mayorkas. That doesn't mean it deserves to be done. Politicians do politicians things. No, it's politicians do political things to make headlines. And so people yeah, on podcasts talk apples about and it. Yeah, apples and oranges because Republicans are scrambling. They see the danger here, right? Republicans are scrambling, but they can't get their act straight. They discovered to their chagrin this week that 125 of them, a majority of House Republicans, have sponsored a bill that defines life as beginning at conception with no carve out for IVF. That's their stated position that IVF should be banned. So they realize that they have a problem here. And I think what the Alabama ruling has done is it's brought up the fact that they have an inconsistent hypocritical position. And they know that people overwhelmingly, including Republicans, 86% support IVF. I'm just saying that I think that issue will but be for live. for clarity, efforts to say life begins at conception has nothing to do with IVF, was never intended to be included in it. Everyone has discussed that. You say 86% of Americans support IVF. I believe it's probably a little higher if they knew what it actually was. 86% of Americans do not all agree that life does not begin at conception. What is conception? Is the definition here and so you can't blame all 125 of those lawmakers who believe that unless you just disagree with that belief that it had anything to do with ivf this is a conversation that has never taken place before and look i work in state go not in state government i work with state government i can tell you all the time laws pass with unintended consequences or unintended meanings and 15 years later someone interprets it differently and it has to be fixed that's what's going on fair point but it raises the fact that either they've thought about this in advance or they haven't. And for the people who have thought about it in advance, they realize that they have a massive political inconsistency and a problem that this Alabama ruling has revealed. For those who haven't, they realize that they can't get right on this, both because they've already established a position that they realize is bad, and also because 
they realize that they're a little bit between a rock and a hard place. You could see this with the dumbest U.S. senator to ever live, Tommy Tuberville, when he was asked about this past week. And he said, I support the ruling. Let's let's talk about this another time. I don't know what to say. That's the problem. And that's the reason that I think I'm not a fan of Tuberville, but we got to stop criticizing people for saying I don't know on a brand new issue. Thank you, Tuberville, who I think is a whack job for various other reasons. That is the correct answer because we don't. We do not know how to take the ruling the Alabama court did, which, as we noted, was to allow these three families to sue for wrongful death for complete negligence on behalf of a facility and marry that with keeping IVF legal as it's intended to be. Tuberville is right. Let's stop for political reasons saying, I have to have an answer. I have to have an answer. That's when everybody gets the answer wrong. Everyone step back, do your damn jobs, Mm. and figure out the right answer to this because anybody who thinks they've got it already, you're lying for political headlines. And I'm so flipping tired of that. No, No, it it is. is Actually, legally, it's very hard. Legally, it's it's very hard. It's really not that hard. You just say, I support IVF, which he couldn't quite manage to spit out because he realizes that he's crosswise with a certain proportion of his base. Look, let's not pretend for a second that there wasn't an agenda from the Alabama Supreme Court, which invented all kinds of pseudoscientific, read not scientific terms like cryonic nursery. That's not a thing. That's not a medical or scientific thing. You don't have cryogenic nursery. Cryogenic nursery came in the lawsuit. Because that is what it is called at the facility. So I don't that know is, what you're talking that about. Is the not, no, that, that is According not, to the lawyers for the family, families, that is what it is called. A cryogenic yes, or cry, it, cryo something nursery. That is not a medical term. They've adopted, cut from whole cloth, the idea that these are babies. This is why everyone's so suspicious. Because clearly the belief here is that frozen embryos are babies. That's the whole idea. And Republicans have been unable to just come out and say, no, we support IVF. We support IVF. And they've had opportunities to do that in Congress this week, and they won't do it. And that's why people are suspicious. That's why it's going to be a political issue. And that's why, just to bring us back, I would advise the Biden campaign to run this as a contrast and say, here's how things are getting better. And here's the insanity that you get with the MAGA Republican crowd. Let's move on. We had primaries in South Carolina and Michigan, should each leading candidate actually do what the media is suggesting they do and be scared of the protest vote against them? Let's take a break. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Obviously, in South Carolina, we saw Donald Trump win, but with a 40% vote for Nikki Haley, which seems significant, as we've talked about on this show before, when the majority of Republican voters view Donald Trump as the incumbent. And you could only imagine the response from the press if, I don't know, like the Dean Phillips or one of these other like Democratic yahoos had gotten 40% against Joe Biden. This was followed in Michigan by uncommitted getting 100,000 votes, which is a reasonably high number seen as a protest vote, an organized protest vote against the president's policy for the war in Gaza. Alicia, do you think the media has treated these 
two stories fairly and reasonably and objectively? And do you think Trump and Biden should be nervous because of these results? I don't think Trump needs to be nervous because for the primary, he should for the general. This is very telling. I think the media doesn't quite understand the background strategies here. They're not recognizing Trump is running with the power of incumbency. The fact he's not currently an incumbent, he's running with the power of the incumbency. And therefore, to lose 40 percent of your own party is massively significant. And we've talked about that before. And he still may win the primary. And that's what the media is focused on. They're not looking into deeper of if 40 percent of your own party doesn't want you to be the nominee, what percentage of those people are not going to vote for you in a general election? And I just think they're not strategically deep diving enough to understand the significance of that. As for Michigan, I I actually think it's a huge story. And here's why. Because Biden only won Michigan by 150,000 votes. Same thing. This is 100,000 protests. But what percentage of those people are going to stick to their guns? And some of them, including the organizer, has been on the news and said she's going to keep this going, even if it means Trump getting elected, are going to stick to their guns and not vote for Joe Biden. That could and, and Michigan is like one of the swingiest of swing states, incredibly significant and important in a general election. So why it's so significant is if 50 percent, 40 percent of those hundred thousand people don't vote for Joe Biden or vote for Donald Trump. You're talking a significant impact on what happens in Michigan, which could have a significant impact in the general election as a whole. Very much hear your last point there, because my gut instinct on this was to draw a sharp distinction between people voting uncommitted as part of a protest vote in a primary where everyone knows who the winner of the primary is going to be. That is a essentially a costless political action that you can take that isn't really hurting the ultimate enterprise of Joe Biden getting reelected and defeating Donald Trump. And I was going to draw a real contrast there between what we saw in South Carolina with not just, to your point, 40% of Republican voters voting for Nikki Haley, but also a significant percentage of them, 10% of all Republicans saying they will not ultimately vote for Donald Trump in the general election. Now, different states, you can't make apples to apples comparisons. That doesn't mean that the same proportion won't vote for him in Georgia, Arizona, any of the other swing states, Michigan for that matter. But I see what you're saying, that I have to be consistent here. And if what we're talking about is a danger of a significant percentage of Republicans not supporting Trump, we have to acknowledge that there is a danger of a significant proportion of Democrats not supporting Biden. The reason I'm less worried for Biden is, like I said, I think it's at this stage still a very costless political action. It sends a message without significantly hurting your candidate or your deeply held beliefs, which probably include, let's not have Donald Trump back as president. And there's still time and there's still history to unfold. There's a lot of work still to come in the Gaza situation. We don't know how people are going to feel about this in six or eight months. And you're talking in the Trump case about people who have really seemed to have baked in their opinions about Donald Trump. To me, the signal to Trump is much stronger. There's much more weakness there. But I see what you mean. It it doesn't feel like zero for Biden. And, you know, what was it? 13 percent of the vote in Michigan was uncommitted. 40 percent of the vote was for someone other than Donald Trump in South Carolina. Those are certainly two different margins. Again, you got to go back to what percentage of each of those are going to make their decision based on that in November. And I don't think we know. And I think that's where polling is going to continue to be a little bit off. Yeah, it's, it, there, there's a lot of question here because also <laughs> the, the other form of protest here is you just don't show up. And 
That's what I'm hearing from the uncommitted Michigan organizers. I can't remember what they call themselves, that this may simply be a let's stay home type thing. And that could be equally damaging, which is the same logic that goes behind Democrats worry about third party candidates, is that you need it to be a two candidate race and you need every vote for people who cannot abide voting for Donald Trump. Joe Biden has to get all of those votes. It, he has to get more than Donald Trump. And if they're staying home or they're going to third party candidates, then it's just, it's draining you. It's draining your strength. So and, something and let's not forget on. the news of the day, particularly in this Michigan situation, which is devoted to the war in Israel and Gaza. The news of the day can fluctuate that act, that group very drastically. Today, there's a, a horrible situation in Gaza where over 100 civilians are dead. They were lined up for food. I don't know what happened. The IDF uh, somehow some shots were fired. Then people were trampled while they were in line waiting for food, while the food trucks were coming in. It's a horrible situation. It's an awful situation. Depending on how Joe Biden responds to that, that one day's activity could be hugely significant on how much more impactful these folks in Michigan that are part of this process are. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. Let's move on to the other big political story that dominated the week, Mitch McConnell announcing that he will not continue to serve as the Republican leader in the U.S. Senate. Obviously, a hugely consequential figure in recent decades in Republican politics and a real shaper of American politics, especially in his moves to keep Merrick Garland from being considered for the Supreme Court and then to push Amy Coney Barrett onto the Supreme Court. He had a major role in today's 6-3 supermajority on the Supreme Court, which is continuing to spool out, obviously, as we see, per our first story at the top. What's your big takeaway from this? As a Republican, uh, what does this mean? I think it's a loss, but I understand it. The man's 82 years old. I think people are reading a little too much into why he's choosing to step down from leadership. He's 82. It's that simple. Uh, he's excellent at what he does. He never fell to the Trump sycophancy. He walked a very fine line in order to get things done within his caucus. Um, he's very good at his job in that respect. I, I think it's a loss for the Republicans in the Senate, but I understand it. Sometimes it's an exhausting gig. You got to go home. The emerging race seems to be among what, what's known as the three Johns, Thune, Cornyn, and Barrasso, other U.S. senators to succeed him. The three Johns, not good after the Larry Craig incident. Just let's come up with a different shorthand for this. And they're, they're considered to be various degrees of pretty standard cut of jib Republicans. But there's an emerging push for there to be a MAGA alternative, and everyone is watching what's Donald Trump going to do in all of this. Do you have any early thoughts on how that's going to shake out? A MAGA alternative is not going to be able to do the job. A MAGA alternative doesn't understand the job is not to just hate the other side, push the other side, and disagree with, any, with anyone that has a D next to their name. That's not the job. This is a very comprehensive job to get things done in Congress, in the Senate, and I don't think it'll happen. My favorite Quote of the day, though, and I don't have the quote directly in front of me, so you'll have to excuse me for paraphrasing, is from MAGA extremist Josh Hawley, who came out and was interviewed and said, he's glad McConnell's stepping down. We need to stop looking backward to the same old thing, and we need to look forward to new stuff. Again, I'm paraphrasing. And this guy is a huge supporter of Donald Trump. 
And I just don't, there's just this brain hypocrisy in these folks who are like, no, we need youth. We need vision. We need newness. We need future. Let's stop looking back. Oh, except for that guy, except the guy at the very top. We want him. I can understand why Josh Hawley would not want people to look back. For example, (laughs) to remind everyone of the fact that he stood up with a raised fist like Tommy Smith at the 68 Olympics in solidarity with the January 6th insurrectionists, and then minutes later fled in terror for his life from them, a moment caught on video and exposed at the January 6th committee hearings. Mr. Profiles and Courage, Josh Mm. Hawley. Yes, I agree, Josh. It would be terrible if people focused on the past. It would be terrible if we reminded them, what a craven loser you are. You have Sorry. such a charming way with words, I, I hate. I, I just. I hate to degenerate de- into Trumpian jibes and insults, but sometimes if the shoe fits, if the shoe fits, Alicia, it's just. It's hard. Okay, look. Speaking of fun politics stories, it's time for our closing segment, yet to be named and yet to be sponsored. Hey, if you like this out there and you want to sponsor it, we're all ears for this. All right, now, Alicia, we handed you the keys to the car to decide what our fun closing segment of the week would be. And I offered to you a story headlined, a New Orleans magician says a Democratic operative paid him to make the fake Biden robocall. You decided, no, the story you've got is even spicier. I can't wait to hear. I literally don't know what this is. Tell me what this is. I'm just hoping I can translate it as well as you can see it on Twitter. And go to Twitter if you... if I don't describe it as well, because it's hilarious. Don't go to Twitter, people. Let let Alicia describe it. The last place you should find yourself is Twitter. I normally would not promote a young person's name in this way, but I'm going to because it's what she wanted. She wanted to be a viral sensation. This is a field operative for Turning Point USA. So we can't blame Turning Point USA. This is an incredibly low-level staffer. Charlie Kirk's like super ultra MAGA organization, right? Turning Point USA. It is, but we can't pretend Charlie Kirk or any of them knew this happened. This is hilarious. So Aubrey Savela, you can find her handle. So she posts a picture of two ballots, two mail-in ballots for the March upcoming Arizona presidential primary with the comment, Maricopa County at its finest. My first time ever voting in a presidential preference election, and I received not one, but two mail-in ballots. And then with a little face palmy uh, emoji, and then she says, thank you, Stephen Richer, who is the guy in charge of this in Maricopa County. Stephen Richer, you are my hero. You rocked the internet today better than anyone has in a month. Because he replied to her on her thread, explaining, and this is a little long, so I won't read it, explaining that you ordered a, a mail-in uh, you know, ballot ahead of time, and then on the very last day that you could request it, you changed your address and requested a second one. So we sent you the second one. But if you look at the little code on your two ballots, one says one and one says two, and the second two is sent out, one can't be used and never even gets open. Thank you for caring about And it was just hilariously written. And this is where I learned the term ratioed. 2,000 people liked Aubrey's initial thing, and they raged a little bit till Mr. Stephen Richer, my hero, replied. And over 45,000 people liked his response. So that's ratioed. And Adam Kinzinger, I always adore you, but he shared it to make it and, and commented and trolled her. It was funny to make it an even bigger story than it was. So this young woman wanted to be viral by showing how mail-in balloting is fraud. And she indeed was the one deliberately committing an attempted fraud. And she got hosed back. And it's funny. And yes, go First of all, and read the comments. They're really good. 
I just love queen of hip internet terms, Alicia Preston schooling the rest of us on all the, I, so now I know about ratio. So that's excellent. And second of all, I just want to encourage all of our friends in MAGA land. And I know we have a ton of MAGA listeners out there. Although it's interesting. <laughs> you know what's interesting? Oh, you know what we will do in our next segment? You and I, there is a fake account on Facebook about you. And I now feature in it as well. You, you know do. how people go there on. There are five of me, by the way. Oh, five. Now I got ratioed. You Thanks. got ratioed. I've only got, got one. I got five. You got five. You got ratioed. You just ratioed me. My mentally challenged parakeet. I think parakeets are cute. Oh yes, you apparently you look. That's what I don't want to. I don't want to get ahead of ourselves on this. Oh yeah, okay, you know how people stop. go on okay, Seth Meyers and they read mean tweets about them. I think in our next show, apparently yes. we have a MAGA following. I, I don't yes, understand. We do. MAGA people. I like that you're all downloading this. This is great. But really, you're here for Thanks. the for the abuse. All right, cool. It, cool. Whatever you're into, if this gets you off, then that's great. So next time, we've got to read the hilarious things that they have written about. The both of us, because apparently the us. we're the devil. So congratulations. Why does this happen to Paul, by the way? I don't know. He he endured a lot of this crap. I gotta yeah, say, he endured fine. a lot of it when he was a U.S. congressman. I think I think people are just palled out. They're just they're done. <laughs> they they've given him the business already. I just this woman, excellent job, and I would like to encourage her and her magra brethren and sistren and Donald Trump himself to continue denigrating mail-in voting. Okay, people, the last thing you should do is vote by mail. People, don't vote by mail. That would be terrible. Just leave it all to election day. It'll be fine. Fantastic. <laughs> this is just a win of the day. All right, Alicia, we got to get out of here. Um, right. Best of Paul on assignment. Fold that slice, Paul. Fold that slice. Otherwise, Knife and fork. Knife and fork. Don't get grease on your Yes, you can get fired too. All right, for Alicia, I'm Matt. We'll see you next time.